are looking at a text that literally the context begins in chapter 8, verse 1, concerning meat offered to idols, and it will not conclude until chapter 11, verse 1. But he starts something new in verse 14 that he has like an underlying theme to, and that you will see that it will be dealing with the Lord's table. Many of us call that communion. So I'm going to try to clarify a lot of this today. And why do we do what we do? Last week, we looked at verses 14 and 15 in a very general sense because we looked at an issue that we in America, the church in America, I believe, are blind to or ignorant to. And that is idolatry. We don't pay attention to it. We don't have little statues in our homes. We don't have little altars in our homes. We don't have, you know little things that we bow down to. And I shared with you last week, what is idolatry and what is its effect on the body of Christ? The Apostle Paul here, beginning in verse 14, says, Therefore, therefore ties the two together. What is the two? No temptation, no testing of your metal has overtaken you, but that is common to man. All right, so he's going to link An amazing thing here, that the testing of who you are, the testing of what your true faith is, the testing of your life in Christ, the testing of your freedom in Christ, he will link it now to idolatry, but he will also link it to something that is very cherished. The Lord's table. The Lord's table. We've been looking at our freedom. That's what started this in chapter 8. And we've looked at it, how does my freedom, my freedom in Christ, how does it affect others, and how does it affect me? And Paul says you can't really realize the danger that you are in if you let your freedom take you to the very edge every time. It's literally becoming mastered by your freedom. I am free in Christ, therefore my freedom rules. Okay, if you keep exposing yourself to the stuff, to what I call the sewer of this world. Do you understand what that is? If not, you'll need to get last week's message. If you keep exposing yourself to that, to that influence, verse 12 says, take heed lest you fall. He's coming out of chapter 9, verse 27 that says, I buffet my body, I make it my slave so that I am not disqualified, that I do not become useless. We looked at idolatry last week. We looked at it probably more than anybody had ever looked at it. We probably looked at it more than we wanted to look at it. And yet we concluded with Joshua's text, Joshua 23.8, that we need to cling to the Lord your God. That's very similar to what we see here. Why? If I flee idolatry, what would I cling to? The Lord your God. Okay, remove the idol. Okay, I wrote a little note here to myself as I was kind of finalizing this message. And I look at our church and and where we've been and what we've been through and where we're going. And all I can think of is that the truths that are here in this scripture will be in demand for the years of this church. We really need to be sensitive to what God is saying to us. Some in the Corinthian church had been attending festivals. Okay? The whole society was based around temples, 
religious um, celebrations, whether you were married, whether you had a job, whether you were preparing to marry, whether you were uh, um, preparing to have a child, your education, everything was based around temples. And we've already looked at in chapter 8 that an idol is nothing. And a lot of time the meat that was provided for human consumption would come out of people who had offered to idols. You know, I kind of look at it and say, you know, some of the temples, some of these priests would have some of the best barbecue. Okay, that pulled pork barbecue that you can get in Memphis. But they've already looked at it and we've already looked at it. The food isn't an issue to God. So what is the big deal? Okay, he starts out verse 14 with, in the New American Standard, it says, my beloved. It literally has an emphasis on it that says, my dearly beloved. It has a, a huge emphasis on endearment to it. it. It's more than just brethren. It's more than just beloved. It is like, you are so special to me. And he says, flee. But how am I going to reach the lost? He says, flee. And here's what's amazing about this text. You and I will sit this day, and I know that some of you right now will be trying to figure out how do I rationalize my work with the lost, my work in our society, my work in the world system, and yet it says here I should flee. And you know what he does? He gives a basis for his point. His point is flee. And he makes this statement. I speak to you as wise men. You judge what I say. And then he illustrates his point. He brings his point to bear and he uses what is called the Lord's table. You, many of you would call it communion. We have a communion service. Okay? Communion, the Lord's table. Do you, I am emphatic today and I am convinced by what I see that we have lost what the importance of that is. The very importance of the community of the believers in what we do in the Lord's table. Today's the first Sunday of the month. This is when we just normally partake of the Lord's table. I'd like to tell you that I planned it that way. But I'd be lying. Because I didn't plan it that way. It's something that should not be missed. The Lord's table. It's something that should not be neglected. The Lord's table. It is an extremely. One of the most important things. That you can ever do as a child of God. Did you know that? Did you know the Lord's table is more important. Than reaching the lost. But what do we do with the Lord's table? What have we made it? I mean I know some churches do it every Sunday. Okay, some churches do it, you know, whatever. I don't, you know, they, I can't prove to you when you should do it other than that you should do it. The fact, in fact, you're going to deal with the Lord's table now from chapter 10, verse 14, all the way through the conclusion of chapter 11. It will always be there. So if that's there, what should I be thinking about it? Well, let me take you back a few thousand years to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 26, verse 26, says this. 
While they were eating, Jesus took some bread, and after blessing, after a blessing, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sin. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now until the day in which I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Sang a hymn and he went out to the Mount of Olives. This is Jesus' celebration of what is known as the Passover meal. It was a memorial that they were celebrating of Israel's exodus from Egypt. Many believe, I cannot biblically prove, many believe that this is the third cup that Jesus took. Okay, the third cup of the Jewish celebration of the Passover is called the cup of blessings. It makes sense. Jesus did what with the cup? He blessed that cup. It was a memorial that he set up. It was a memorial to his death. But it was a memorial to his life. It was also a memorial to the freedom that Christ gives us and the forgiveness of our sins. It's the Lord's table. It's communion, we call it. It's basic to the church. It's been basic to the church since its birth. Acts chapter 2, verse 41 said, They gladly received His word, and about 3,000 were baptized. What happened then? They stepped into what is basic Christianity. Did you know that? They were steadfast, it says. In what? Four things. Basic Christianity. One, the apostles' teaching, the apostles' doctrine. What were the apostles saying? What are we to do? How are we to be? Two, fellowship, the ministering to one another. That's fellowship, the serving of one another. Three, the breaking of bread. What is that? It's meals together, but it also encompasses what? The Lord's table. And fourthly, what did they do collectively? Please hear this. They prayed. That's basic Christianity. That's one-on-one. That's your freshman class. 46, verse 46 of Acts 2 says, And they were doing this going from house to house. You know what's amazing about that? They were going house to house daily. Daily, they were listening to the apostles' teaching. Daily, they were ministering to each other. Daily, they were partaking of the Lord's table and eating together. Daily, they were in prayer together. And they would literally go from house to house. Why? This was a celebration. This is a point of union. This is what is called a blood covenant. This is no different than the covenant that Abraham had when the animals were cut in half and God put him into a deep sleep and God walked between it and said, this is my promise unto you and it will stay in fact in power until my death. God's death? When will God die? That would sort of be like one of them real long covenants, huh? Okay, so this is the basis for Paul's argument To flee idolatry. Flee it. But an idol is nothing. The meat isn't an issue. But Paul says because of the meaning of communion, because of the meaning of the Lord's table, flee. When I was studying this and when I was 
I will be honest with you, really wrestling with this. Wrestling it, it was really kind of an understatement. I found it at first a very interesting argument. But then it dawned on me that it wasn't an easy argument. You're going to have to dig into it. Now, I'm into it. I like digging into stuff and figuring out what was being said. But I need to give you a reminder of idolatry. Okay? I got it. Broke it down into six things. And you guys will say, well, how come you can give me six things now? And you had that big old message. Um, because uh, I believe that we don't. I think that we play loose and fast with idolatry. Okay? One, it's slandering God's character is idolatry. Saying that he is either doing something or can't do something that he can do. Got that? Slandering his God. You know what? When you become anxious, guess what you just did? You slandered God's character. It's idolatrous. Okay? When you doubt, guess what? Okay. Anyway. Two, worshiping the true God the wrong way. Okay? The Bible does not teach contemporary, blended, traditional Ultra-contemporary or ultra-traditional forms of worship. doesn't teach it. Okay? So you can worship the true God the wrong way. The Jews did it. We looked at this in depth in Exodus. When Moses was up to get the Ten Commandments, they built an idol, a golden calf, and they built it to Elohim. And Aaron called for a feast to Jehovah the next day. And they believed that the image was God. <clears throat> the worship of anything other than God. That can be images. It can be angels. It can be demons. It can be dead people. Um, just go on and on. Okay? It can be idols of the heart. I set up as a God to you. I bow down to something in my heart. That can be money. It can be fame. It can be relationships. Um, I believe that that's an endless list. We were only created to worship, and we will worship anything. Okay? Covetous is an idol. And sixthly, lust is an idol. And so Paul in 14 and 15 says, flee. Flee. Okay? You have to flee. Why? Judge for yourself. Judge for yourself. Okay, then in 16 through 18, he says idolatry is illogical or inconsistent, however you want to look at it. I want us to look at this. It says, is not the cup of blessing which we bless a sharing in the blood of Christ? Is not the bread which we break a sharing in the body of Christ? Interesting argument. What are you talking about? It's a simple thought. It's a very simple thought. And I'll be honest with you, I'm not sure I can explain it. My quandary. When a Christian goes to the Lord's table, okay, Paul doesn't assume that a Christian wouldn't go. But he assumes that a Christian that should be vital to the life of the Christian. And it will continually bring that Christian focusing on the issue of the union of that believer with his Lord. A believer 
with everyone else, he says in verse 17. Since there is one bread, we who are many are one body. We who, for we all partake of the one bread. I want to give you a text. You guys who have been coming on Sunday nights, you know these texts, but I want to give them back to you again because you've got to get a hold of this. This is all part of what you and I know as the Lord's table. It's Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22 and 23. He says this, and he put all things in subjection under his feet, and he gave him head over all things to the church. Okay, what is that? Verse 23, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Okay, then in chapter 3, verse 10, he makes this statement, Paul does. Again, speaking, this is amazing stuff, people. He says, so that the manifold wisdom, the word manifold there would be the multicolored wisdom, the multi, the wisdom that is beyond really trying to grasp, that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through where? Where? Through the church. Who will this manifestation of God's wisdom be to? To the rulers and the authorities, where? In heavenly places. Do you see why the church means so much to me? Did you know that the manifold wisdom of God, the, the, the encompassing all that God's wisdom is, is where? And it is, it is literally there to show it off to the cherub and the seraphim. God says, I want to show you my wisdom. I want to show you what I'm about. I know you were there when you saw me fling the stars into the heavens. I know you were there when you saw me create man. I know you were there when you seen me fulfill my redemptive plan. But I have something greater I want to show you. The manifestation of Jesus Christ in these earthen vessels, in the fullness of who my Son is, in the power of the majesty and the wisdom that I am. Have a look-see. You holy angels, you holy cherub, you holy seraphim, look at my manifestation. Peter puts it this way, they have longed to understand such a great redemption. So it is absolutely vital that a believer partake of the Lord's table. Please hear me on this. Look around you. Look at the saints that you know have not partaken of the Lord's table in how long. And ask yourself, how can you be without that vital interest in your life? Because this gets, this is amazing stuff. This thing here just freaked me out because this is not optional this is not optional listen it does not say the blood of is a symbol read it it isn't a symbolic gesture brothers and sisters because it doesn't say that there it says you are sharing in what The blood of Christ. It isn't you are sharing in the symbol of the blood of Christ, does it? 
When you take the cup, when you take the bread, you are communing with Christ in a very real and genuine way. It is an act that celebrates, uh, of celebration, and it involves you in the participation of Christ. People who forsake the assembly together, which is the habit of some, Hebrews tells us, are forsaking communing, sharing with Christ. Well, I do it at home. Oh, then verse 17 doesn't speak to you. I do it in my own way. Me and my wife do it. Or I do it when I go to a different place. This verse 17 says, We who are many are one body. And we all partake of the one body. This is the communion table. It involves you in participation. You know what it does? It involves you in participation with everybody else who's in this room this day who will participate. With everyone else who is part of it. That's Paul's point. That's what Paul's getting at. He says, flee idolatry. Why? Who are you communing with? Who are you sharing with? He says, religious fest." Feasts, religious celebrations involve a worshiper and all the other worshipers with the one being worshipped. That's why a Christian can't go to an idol feast. That's what it says. But I don't believe in that idol. But it's illogical with who you are communing with to commune with a demon, an idol, or anything, any system of it. That's what he says. Read it. Is not the cup of blessing which we are sharing in the blood of Christ? What is a cup of blessing? Well, let's see if we can tear this thing apart. Okay? That was the name given to the third cup in the Passover feast. I already shared that with you. And it's possible this is a cup the Lord had at that point in time to initiate in that upper room that last night. Okay? It's literally the third cup is when Jesus says, I'm going to take the Passover and I'm going to turn it into what you and I know as communion service. It was a cup of blessing. It says in Matthew 26, it was a cup of blessing which the Lord blessed. Here it says he has blessed. It's not the cup of blessing which we are sharing. This is amazing because that night he took a cup And he blessed it. It was just a cup. And all of a sudden, it became something extraordinary. All of a sudden, it became very, very sacred. Because Jesus Christ himself set it apart from the mundane, from the ordinary, to a very special place. He set it apart. He took that cup. He set it apart. It was not the cup. It was the person of the cup. So the cup of blessing is the communion cup. It is the cup that Jesus blessed. If you read that, it's in our text here, verse 16, what does it say? Is not the cup of blessing, referring back to Matthew 26, is not the cup that Jesus blessed, what do we do with it? We do what? We bless also. We bless also. Before we take the cup, we bless. 
That's the word you get Eucharist from, to bless. Jesus blessed. What does that mean? We set it apart. We set it apart for sacredness. We set it apart by Christ. And we continue to set it apart because I read to you in, in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 22, where is the fullness of Christ? The body which is the church. So when we draw together, as we will here shortly, we will do what with the cup? We will bless it. We will set it apart. We will thank God for what it is. It was set apart by Christ. It is set apart sacred with us also. The cup is a symbol of the cup that Jesus blessed. That's the only symbolic part of it. I'm going to thank God for it. What is this cup? It's the blood of Christ. That's what it says. It is the blood of Christ. Let me tell you something. The cup isn't the issue. The blood of Christ is the issue. Okay, I want to show you something that just blew me away. Okay? Verse 16 says, Is not the cup of blessing which we bless a sharing in the blood of Christ? That's New American Standard Translation. Okay? King James says, Commune with. Okay? You know what that word is in the Greek? Koinonia. Koinonia. You know what that is? Sometimes translated fellowship. Fellowship doesn't cover it. Sharing doesn't cover it. Communion doesn't cover it. It means to be a partner. It means that it's so involved that there's an intimacy there that there is, I will do for you as no other. That's when you hear that we have a time of fellowship. It should be a time of koinonia. Koinonia. Intimately involved with one another. Knowing one another's hurts. That's when James says, let us confess our sins to one another. You can never do that without koinonia. Why? Because koinonia says, I am your partner. I am with you. You cannot separate me. And when he says that you are sharing in the cup, which is the blood of Jesus Christ, how involved is that? Very, very involved. It is communion with God. It is sharing with God. It is fellowship with God. It is partnering with God. <coughs> That's amazing. I'm partnering. You are communing with the blood of Christ. What in the world does that mean? Please note, it does not say you are sharing, you are communing with the symbol. Does it? It says you are what? It is His blood. It's His blood. There's a fellowship, there's a participation, there's a sharing, there's a partnership. It is an actual involvement that is taking place. When we take that cup, a sim spiritual reality is going on that is far more than a symbol. Okay? Let me give you an illustration. Okay? If you have a picture 
or you see a picture of someone that you love, okay, who has died. All right, you have that picture. All right. It isn't just a picture. It isn't just a symbol, is it? When you look at that picture, the whole of that person is realized. Right? Um, Everything about that person is alive to you. Isn't it? You have uh, flooded by instant memories. You're flooded with reality. You are the same when you partake of the table. It's the same thing. There's a reality. I have a picture of my father, my blood father. And when I see that, I immediately think of this little yellow Honda mini bike. Instant thought. That my dad worked overtime so I could have that thing. Instant thought. I immediately go back to carrying this little bolt action 410 shotgun, walking in uh, soy that hadn't been harvested, like it's about this high. I don't know how old I was, but it was about this high, and I couldn't see anything. And all of a sudden, a covey of quail jumped up, and I hit the ground, and my dad started shooting. Okay? Scared me to death. I thought, good Lord, they're coming after us. And I can get that all out of one little picture of a man in his dress blues. Let me tell you something. That picture, that ain't no symbol. That's real. That's reality. That cup, that ain't no symbol. That's real. That's reality. The same vividness of his death makes it real. And it is intensified. When you take the cup, you should become intensely sensitive of the reality of Christ's death for you. So it's not a symbol. It's real. It's activated by the Spirit of God to make Christ's death a living reality in you. I have pictures of the upper room. I have a picture of the building where they said, they call it Peter's house. It's where Peter went to the upper room. It was a, a high point that overlooked the Temple Mount where the temple would have sat. And this is where many believe that Jesus was. I have a picture as you walk down the narrow streets, you come around the corner and you see this place. I got a picture of inside that room where probably 150 to 200 people could have gathered together. I've, got a, I've seen it vividly in my mind of the 12 sitting there on the floor, partaking of the Passover meal. Very, very vivid. It's real. He walked in here. I need to give you a new word. You didn't know he's going to English class. Okay. Uh, you know what a homonym is? A synonym? And all them other things? I'm going to give you one that you really need to put in your vocabulary. Okay. A metonym. Anybody know what a metonym is? Well, you're going to get... Just the thrill of your life. A metonym is a different word that is used for something because it has an actual relationship. Well, gee, thank you. Okay. A metonym. Let me give you an illustration. I was reading Shakespeare. 
There's a reality on that, right? I was really what? Reading Shakespeare. Did I run into Shakespeare and he had print all over him? No. But there is a reality there, right? But you could say, well, you couldn't even find He buried and probably decomposed pretty good by now. But a metonym says that I was reading Shakespeare. Okay? A word substituting for another word because of the real relationship. There's a real relationship there. Let me give you this. The blood of Christ is a metonym. A metonym. It is a term for His death. Okay? To a Hebrew, to a Jew... Blood is the life of a person. And as in the flesh, that's what makes it happen. Do you know that when you have that bombing, when you have a terrorist bombing in Israel today, that one of the key, there's a group that comes in after, you know, forensics has done all their stuff. You know what their responsibility is? To clean up the blood and the tissue of all the Jews. That's their job. And that that blood and Jews, as best as they can identify it through DNA, is matched with the appropriate Jewish victim. Why? Because that is part of that person that God had graced that person on this planet. Okay? It is used because the Jews used it a metonym to speak of a, of a violent death. Without the shedding of blood. Right? <laughs> All right, you can have people just die, that's fine. But shedding of blood, had in, when you see blood poured out or blood spilled or in, in the Hebrew, what you're speaking of is, is something that has happened that is terrible, is violent. When you commune with the blood of Jesus Christ, you are, it's a metonym that you are communing, you are sharing, you are focusing, you are partnering, you are with His violent death. You have fellowship with his death. Listen, I want to clear something up. The Baptists have got a bad thing about this. Blood of Christ did not take away sin. Please hear me. You've heard the song, there's power in the blood. The blood of Christ is not the issue. The issue is that his poured out blood is symbolic, is a metonym for his violent death. His violent death paid the price. For sin. Okay? Simple argument. Wages of sin is bleeding. Wages of sin is death. That's not a complicated, but a lot of people say, well, you don't preach about the blood. I don't have to preach about the blood. Why? It's just a metonym for his violent death. Jews believed life was the, of, of, the, of the flesh was in the blood. Pouring it out signified a violence. Taking the cup which Jesus blessed, and in turn we bless, we set it apart for a sacred use. And we are participating in an act of communion, of fellowship, of sharing, of partnering with the death of Jesus Christ. Let's take it a step further. He says here, Is not the bread which we break a sharing in the body of Christ? Okay, Literally, the term is the loaf, the loaf, okay? This loaf of bread, all right? Which we break. That's what he says. Not the body of Christ was broke. What was broke? Okay? 
when Jesus was in the upper room, 26 of Matthew, he says, this is my body. But it looks like a bagel. Right? But he said, this is my body. And it refers to who? The totality of his life. See, to a Jew, there's an amazing thing in the Greek. There's two words, atoma and atomaon. Okay, atoma is earth. Atomaon is man. Same word. Different parsing at the end of it. What does it mean? Man is from the earth, from the dirt. Man was taken from the dirt. He took dirt, breathed into it, and we had Adam. At the point is that he connects the man to the ground. He's connecting the body to humanity. Okay? When we commune with the bread, it is the body, the earthliness, the humanity of Christ. It's not a reference to the cross. I watch people try to preach this thing as the cross. cross ain't in there. It's not a reference to that. The bread, we remember a commune... with the Lord's incarnation, His human life. It makes Him our sympathetic high priest. Remember? In all points was tempted as we are. It's His life, His human life. God gave Himself to you and I as a human being. As a human being. That He might suffer as we. He will hurt Were we hurt? He tempted as we are tempted. Okay? Listen, breaking is not a reference to the cross. It is part of His human suffering. Breaking is of no symbolic connection. I've seen people... I don't know what we've got in the communions today, but they have the little cracker in there, and you'll watch a person. Sometimes you may see this. You see a person pick up a piece of the cracker, and he'll break that cracker. I mean, it's already broken. Okay, but they'll say it is his body which was broken for me. And so I take my piece. Okay, you're putting too much in. The breaking has nothing to do with death. It has to do with distribution. Okay, I remember Dr. MacArthur talking about one time somebody in their church. Now, this is a church that a seat on the Lord's Day, uh, about 8,000. And they decided that somebody in the church decided they were going to make loaves of bread and, and pass them out to the people. And he said what he realized were people weren't breaking it. So you got the first four rows had bread and they were out. Okay. Well, it's still a lot of bread, but you're like, share, please. <laughs> All right. See, we get in our mind that it's his breaking. Listen, the Bible's emphatic. Not a bone on his body was broken. To what? Fulfill the scriptures. So when you see breaking, understand what he's doing. When he he didn't say, This is my body which is broken, this is my body which is for you, but I gotta give it to you, twelve of you, and I need to get it in little pieces. Okay? So when you hear about the breaking of his body, understand he is the bread of life. And we all partake of it, correct? See how all of a sudden communion has now moved from this sharing of Christ to the sharing of the saints. 
All of us are involved. All believers share in that one life. Please understand that. Did you know? Did you get that? How many of you share in the body of Christ? <coughs> All of you are supposed to. I got a survey in there on my desk that says that uh, that it, with 9-11 and a number of different things like that, uh, what do they call it? Uh, giving, uh, char- charitable giving is way down. And they believe that now that 10% of the church is funding the other 80%. Why? Because most people don't understand what the body of Christ is. They believe it's a, a religious organization. What is it? What did I just show you it is? It's real. It's alive. It's an entity. It is only the fullness of Jesus Christ. It is the manifestation of the multifold wisdom of God unto the celestial beings. We, we fellowship. We share. We commune with His death. But you know what? We also commune. We also fellowship. We also partake. We also share with His Life. See, the body, the bread is his life. The cup is his violent death. And we commune, we share, we fellowship, we partake. We are partners with both. In Philippians chapter 3 verse 10, I want to know him, Paul says. Okay, amen. What is it? The power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering. That's his life. I want to be able to suffer for him. I want to have the humanity, humidity, humanity of Jesus, as it were, relived through me. That's what Paul says in Philippians 3. I want to be persecuted for righteousness' sakes, as he was persecuted. I want to bear on my body the marks of Christ. What is left up. The world hated him. Guess what? Still does. But they can't get to him, so what will they get after? (coughs) You and I. Remember the Damascus Road? Paul was going out persecuting Christians. Right? I'm going to arrest this church. I'll put an end to this. Jesus appears to him and says what to Paul? Why do you persecute? No, it was his church, wasn't it? You can't separate him from his church. So when you come to the table of the Lord, beloved, the bread represents his humanity. His 100% of Lord Jesus Christ. His humiliation. His human suffering. As a man for you and I. We definitely commune with Him. We definitely relate to this. The cup represents His violent death. His forgiving of us. That we commune in it also. Okay? I want to close with a couple of verses. I'm not going to look at them. I'm just going to give them to you. We are partakers. Please grab this. Okay? I want to show you the same word used. Okay? And you guys can go look it up. Alright? We are partakers. I want you to understand, we're going to get ready here and take the Lord's table. This is not a symbol. Why? 1 Corinthians 1.9, it says, 
We have fellowship with the Son. You know what? Same word. We have fellowship with this cup, which is the blood of Christ. We share in that thing. 2 Corinthians chapter 13 says, we participate, we fellowship in the Spirit. Let me ask you a question. The Spirit of the living God, is that real? How much do you participate with Him? Same with the cup. Same with the bread. Philippians chapter 2, verse 1 says, we have participation or koinonia with him in his ministry. Ministry of Jesus Christ. Is that real? Or is it a symbol? 2 Corinthians 8, 4. We have fellowship. We have partnership. We have sharing. We have communion. We are partakers of what? In the gospel. Same words. Philippians 3. I want to know the power of His suffering. Sharing in His suffering. We are fellowshipping all the time with Christ. All the time you are sharing with Him. Do you know what's really cool about that? I look at you guys gathered here today. And you all are. You may not know it. The Apostle Paul is just, I've been overwhelmed by some of the things that he's shown me. And one of the things is, is he goes through that list of horrible stuff that he's been through. Shipwrecked and left in the deep three, three days and, and beaten with rods 39 times. And I've been stoned and left for dead. And I went and go through that whole list. And then the last one, he says, in my daily concern for the church. Why? When the church hurt, Paul hurt. But I'm not sure if... Nah, it's not the qualifier. It's not the qualifier. I'm not sure if that person's saved. I'm not sure. That, you don't get that option. God brings them into your life. Guess what? They're part of it. That's amazing stuff to me. All the time with Christ. All the time with every single one of you. When you hurt, I hurt. When you rejoice, I rejoice. When I hurt... You laugh. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you know, hallelujah, God. We're, going, we're praying for fire and brimstone. All right? See, you're laughing now. Listen, now grab all of that that I just gave you. All right? And remember that Israel is an example to... Who is us? No, let's be a little more specific. It is an example to Esther. It is an example to Ali. An example to Al, to Chris, to Tracy... Tom, Kim, Josh, it is an example to you, to me, of what not to do. Why? Because Israel, out of Egypt, was called to be what? A witnessing community. To bear testimony of the power and the majesty and the glory of a holy God. And one of the ways that I do it is I commune with Him all the saints. They identified with Moses. We identify with Jesus Christ. 
Let me ask you a question. Who do you identify with this day? And are you consistent? Who do you identify with? Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for your word. I thank you for my brother Paul. Thank you for the amazing things that you used him for even this very day. Lord, I just pray that even now as we prepare to partake of the Lord's table, Father, that freedom that you've given us will not overwhelm us. Father, we'll rejoice in what you've done. Father, let us draw to the intimate relationship that you've called us. Let that koinonia be a part of us this day. Let us be willing partakers. Father, willing sharers of the amazing things that you're doing. I praise you for these precious souls. Father, in the fellowship of your saints, I praise you for your table. I praise you for your cup. I praise you for your body. Lord, we give you the glory and honor. In Christ's name, amen.